Princess Rise for their Majesties of Royally Obsessed, the podcast for all things royals. Stand by! Three cheers for Her Majesty the Queen! Hi guys, welcome back to Royally Obsessed. I'm Caitlin Menza. And I'm Lisa Ryan. And it's time for your weekly update on the royal news you need to know. Subscribe to the podcast and leave us the royal rating of a five-star review. Please. We really love that. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast and join our Facebook group, Royally Obsessed. You can also send us an email, info at gallerypodcast.com. Happy holidays, you guys. Happy holidays. Yeah, we're so happy that you are spending what I hope is the laziest week of the entire year listening to Royally Obsessed. This is the the week that we had hoped The Crown would be out, season three, and we could just sit around watching it and doing absolutely nothing. And we have been devastated denied denied of course we can watch the season one and two on netflix that's that's so there's that um otherwise i hope that you are spending this week not working if you can manage that and just wearing sweatpants and watching tv and and then listening to us that's so fun yeah thank you for for doing that thanks for doing it guys (laughs) (laughs) this week we are joined by a very special guest who i'm so excited about and that is cnn royal contributor Victoria Arbiter. We have both been following her online for so long because you'll hear about it in a second, but she's got like the most fascinating royal adjacent life and not like royal adjacent. Like she's just like kind of friends with people, but like she lived at Kensington Palace in her teen years. Like it's no big deal. I'm so excited. So thank you so much for joining us. Victoria will be here soon. And in the meantime, um, our royal refreshment is. And now it's time for the weekly royal cocktail. A hot toddy like last week because we're pre-recording this <laughs> because like you we are trying not to work this week yeah we're both going to be out of town and so we're not even going to pretend like we're recording this early yeah we're having a hot toddy it's actually now kind of a cold toddy yeah oh so different drink oh yeah. man we could have lied <laughs> it's so, it's tepid tea it's beautiful um but it's fine it's delicious i, I did a really good job i still taste the whiskey that's what's important um and we have a listener email from page subject line 1980s romance novel about the prince of wales what 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 What? (laughs) this is already i'm like wait this could have been our royal gift guide Uh, (laughs) would you like to read this sure you have to skim a little bit because it's very long okay and we have victoria to get to of course you two have become my new best buds when i'm brushing my teeth and getting ready for bed at night oh my god that's so funny i never think about when people are actually listening to us yeah as an aside (laughs) Are people brushing their teeth right now? I love that. I don't mind that image. I hope you're brushing hard. I need to get rid of the cold toddy taste in my own mouth. So I appreciate that. I hope you're flossing, you guys. (laughs) (laughs) Um, She goes on. I was thinking about the purported recent turmoil among men of the royal family. And I just remembered a book I read many, many years ago that gives some perspective on how attitudes change over time. Believe it or not, there was a time during the 1970s when Charles was relatively attractive. (laughs) Okay, good burn. Wow. (laughs) rough (laughs) burn (laughs) so try to imagine a young prince charles with not much of a public profile other than being known as the world's most eligible bachelor who therefore becomes the object of many young women's fantasies that was the basis for a romance novel that came out around 1981 called millie myerson and the prince of wales here's the log line Millie Myerson, a Jewish girl from the Bronx, and James, the Prince of Wales, share a passionate, bittersweet romance after meeting during the taping of a television special. Woof. Okay, we're definitely going to have to, like, (laughs) look this up, order this, and read this ourselves. It's uh, Yeah, it's available on Amazon. Thank you to Paige for providing that link. I'm not super sold by that log line, but I'm open to trash. I like a good 
easy read. Fanfic sort of what have you about and meeting royals. Any way to turn off my brain. Yeah, that sounds really fun. Yeah, so thank you, Paige. Um, the email was longer, but we want to get to Victoria. Yeah, sorry, Paige. But thank you for the recommendation. And everyone can go find it if they would like themselves. Again, that title is Millie Myerson and the Prince of Wales. Sounds like a great mo- Netflix movie. <gasps> it does. <laughs> then we have This Week in Royal History. And now... This week in royal history. Uh, January 1, 2012 was Prince William and Kate's first New Year's Eve as a married couple. And you might be saying, so what? Well, I'll tell you what. (laughs) They spent it in a $3,000 teepee in the yard of the Middletons. What? I know. (laughs) Is that real? (laughs) Who is the source? The Daily Mail. Which, okay. (laughs) As always, Grain of salt. Um, so they marked their first New Year as men and wife with the Middletons in a tent usually used by reindeer herders in Lapland in Finland. It's called a kata, and the teepee style sort of tent was hired by the events firm that Kate Middleton, or sorry, Pippa Middleton ordered it from an events firm. I think it's sort of like a spawn con sort of like their Middletons are party planning people. They have a party planning company. So yeah, they marked their first New Year as man and wife. They spent it with the Middleton family staying in a kata, which is apparently a sort of tent that's used by reindeer herders in Finland. (laughs) So sure. (laughs) That sounds amazing. It sounds like it was extremely cold. Knowing the fancy Middletons and the fact that they are party planner extraordinaires and that's how they made their wealth. I'm sure it was like glamping, like it was heated probably. It must be like every holiday that you spend with the Middletons, even if it's a small one like Arbor Day, is like the most elaborate thing ever. Because if it's like a professional party planner. Yeah, exactly. Um, So this one is made of, it's typically made of animal hides with an opening at the top to let out smoke. And they were saying, this was in 2012, that modern man-made versions were becoming increasingly popular in Britain, which like it was 2012. And it sounds sort of like a Coachella, like... We're going to go and rough it <laughs> in a tent. The Middleton version of virgin <laughs> version of Coachella. Yeah, exactly. So that's what they did on New Year's Eve uh, 2011 into 2012. Very funny. These two cuties. And I already know how you're going to spend your New Year's. Karaoke. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing yet more karaoke. Um, what about you? What are you doing on New Year's? Parties. Great. We should find each other. We should. We should find each other. <laughs> let's ring in the new year together. Let's, let's get a tent. Let's get a kata and sleep on the street. <laughs> or we could take it to Central Park. That sounds beautiful. Beautiful. So that's what those two were doing before they had kids when they could just like get drunk and sleep in a tent on their parents' lawn. <laughs> How adorable is that? They're so cute. Now they're like, they're not going to get to party again on a New Year's Eve for 20 years. Mm. sorry folks that's how that goes (laughs) um so that's very fun stuff um and now we get to have more fun stuff we are joined by cnn royals contributor victoria arbiter hi victoria thank you for being here good to be with you guys well we are so excited to have you because not only are you this amazing royal contributor but you have had such a fascinating royal life and we are so excited to ask you about it so first of all you basically grew up in kensington palace like what does that even entail well first of all we have to correct that a little bit because that's what it's become that i grew up in kensington palace but you're right i did spend my teenage years or the latter part of my teenage years in kensington palace um but it was it's lovely you know you think palace and you think it was gilt leaf walls and tapestries hanging from everywhere but actually to keep it real we were in the old stable block 
Oh. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, that, just to remind you of your commonplace in society. Um, but what I suppose was really special about it, and of course as a teenager, I was over everything. It's like, yeah, whatever, we live at Kensington Palace. But um, it was actually it's only now that I can sort of look back and really appreciate what a special time it was. And and every day offered something different. There would be paparazzi standing around the, the gates, uh, the driveway gates, and um, we would try and drive out really fast. Well, not my dad, but me and my friends, and pretend that we were a member of the royal family and hope that we got <laughs> photographed. Of course, we never did. Um, and, you know, just seeing William and Harry coming and going with their nanny to the high street, or there was one year there was a scarily but there was a bomb blast outside the Israeli embassy which um, runs alongside the palace there's a whole row millionaires row that's all embassies and ambassadors residents and that kind of thing so there were moments like that that are kind of little reminders of okay yeah we're living somewhere that's quite tight on security and a little bit out of the ordinary. And so just to clarify for our listeners, the reason why you lived at Kensington Palace was because your father Dickie Arbiter was the press secretary to the Queen. Yes, that's right. Well, he had started out as a court correspondent. He was actually one of the very first court correspondents because it was only really when Diana hit the scene that suddenly there was a voracious appetite for royal news every single day. Up until then, it had all been quite tightly controlled by the palace and releases would come out. Um, And it was during his tenure working for LBC News Radio that he was invited to join the press office of Charles and Diana, which, of course, he he leapt at that opportunity. And then around the time of Diana and Charles's separation, the office were all brought together and they said who do you want to work for we're dividing the office and of course you're supposed to show loyalty to the future king uh, but Diana had been so wonderful they wanted to make sure that she felt appreciated and respected and loved as well so he was in a very difficult situation and right around then there was the fire at Windsor Castle and, and of course the agreement was made to open Buckingham Palace to the public so they needed someone to handle the press and oversee the opening of Buckingham Palace and he was offered that job and he leapt at it. It was like yes I'm in I'm in it meant that he didn't have to make the Charles Diana choice and that job uh, involved being a member of the the Queen's press team as well so yes he moved into Buckingham Palace and and became one of her press secretaries and I think he actually absolutely loved that element of the job because it had been quite difficult working in Charles and Diana's office and constantly having to say no comment to the rumours or poo-poo the rumours or say no there's nothing to it when actually everything was exploding within the palace. Yeah, what a time to be the press secretary. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. In, yeah really. In, in the early and mid-90s, that was a tough, tough time. And so when you mentioned you were in the stable house, where exactly yes. is that on the Kensington Palace property? Because I feel like we've all seen a lot of maps, especially because there's so many reports about um, where Meghan and Harry are living in Nottingham Cottage. Right, yes. So as you go from Kensington High Street, there's a a very big fancy hotel on Kensington High Street called the Royal Garden Hotel. And there's a driveway on, if you're looking at it, there's a driveway on the right-hand side, and that's the main driveway to Kensington Palace. And as you drive up that driveway, the old stable block is on the left, and then you go up further, and then you get to the police blockade to go into the bit where Harry and Meghan, William and Kate live. So in our stable block, at the time, uh, Paul Burrell, the infamous butler, was living there. Um, We also had, yes, we had him. We had uh, Princess Diana's sister was living right next door to us, Lady Jane Fellows. She's oh, married wow. to Sir Robert Fellows, who was the Queen's private secretary. Um, we had Sir Miles Hunt Davis. He was a private secretary to Prince Philip. Um, so it was quite a motley crew living there at the time, all very nice people, all very genteel and civilised. And um, I, I kind of liken it, I've likened it in the past to sort of a very regal version of Melrose Place. That's what it <laughs> felt like. Everyone was connected in some way. 
if you could write that TV show, I would really appreciate it. I would, <laughs> I would okay, definitely yeah, watch it. On it. <laughs> um, and so, Victoria, of course, we're speaking to you during the holidays. And I'm wondering, can you tell us what it was like to live there during the holiday season? Because, of course, we're seeing already the Cambridges at plenty of events. And it's such a fun time of year to see the royals, you know, wearing their tartan and getting ready <laughs> for Sandringham yeah. and everything. So what was it like in the palace? Well, Christmas in England, Christmas everywhere that anyone celebrates, Christmas is magical and special. But because we don't have Thanksgiving, we go all out on Christmas. Um, And there was one particularly, it was 1992, I think, 92, 93, right around then. And Diana had uh, announced that she was stepping back from a huge number of her patronages. She wanted to sort of focus and streamline her work. And as part of that, she decided to throw a a small party at Kensington Palace. And we were invited to that. Um, And it was to honour Christmas, to celebrate Christmas. It was sort of a a thank you for the end of the year. Anyway, we went to it. And again, I'm still my teenage unimpressed by anything. But as we're walking into Kensington Palace, we were walking behind Elton John. So I I had a bit of a moment then. I was quite excited. But then we went inside to the party and we saw Diana. And I'd been fortunate enough to meet her a couple of times before then. Um, But George Michael was there. And this was the height of George Michael fame. I loved him. I loved him. And um, so my dad and my stepmother, who were with me, they were teasing me about going to introduce myself. And and it's (laughs) rare that I am short of a word or two, but I had come completely undone. So Diana came over right as we were laughing and she said, what's going on here? What are you talking about? And I said, I'm trying to pluck up courage to go and introduce myself to George Michael. And right as I said that, she leaned in and nobody knew at the time that he happened to be gay. He hadn't announced that. So she leaned in and she had this cheeky glint in her eye and she said, oh, but isn't it a shame he doesn't like the ladies? And I was like, (laughs) what do you mean? What do you mean? Well, the other person who heard her say that was an eight-year-old Prince Harry. (gasps) And so he suddenly tugged on her skirt and went, mommy, who doesn't like the ladies? Who doesn't like (laughs) the ladies? Oh, my God. And so, of course, a a child of eight has absolutely no volume control. And so she turned and she went, shut up, Harry, shut up, um, because she didn't want George Michael, who was standing within earshot, to hear this whole conversation going. So uh, then she tried to defuse the situation. I hadn't met Harry yet. And she said, Harry, take your friend Victoria to meet George Michael. And of course, again, he's eight. He doesn't have a clue who I am. He said, who's my friend Victoria? And uh, <laughs> I said, well, she's standing right here. Go on. And he, he just got all shy and embarrassed and said, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> so Diana said, go on, I dare you. Go over and meet George Michael. So the poor man, I mean, were he still alive today, there'd probably be a restraining order. But I marched <laughs> over and introduced myself and very fortunately about a week earlier there'd been a very impressive documentary on his life on television which of course I'd lapped up so I felt like I had lots of very intelligent questions to ask him but over his shoulder I could just see Diana and Harry giggling but really what was so special about that memory I think is it it gave such insight into their relationship Um, that's that's what they were like they were just cheeky and naughty together and laughed a lot but then after that, um, it was Prince William was 10 and it was the first time he was giving a speech. And Diana was wow. standing next to me as he did it. She had told him that he was the man of the house and she wanted him to thank everyone for coming that evening to wish everyone a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Um, and that's what he did. And she was just glowing and beaming with pride as he did. So it was an extraordinary Christmas to answer your question, but one of the more special Christmas memories, I suppose, I have of, of life at Kensington Palace. That's wow. one of the best stories I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> I can I can only imagine. And so we also know from your bio, like one of the most fascinating aspects of it is that you went go-karting with Princess Diana. Yeah, please I tell did. us that story. 
Yes, I did. Well, um, she loved to do things for the office. She was always thinking of you know, team building exercises, but she just was fun and she wanted everyone to feel appreciated because I think she knew if everyone felt appreciated, they were going to do a good job, they were going to remain loyal. So we had a she had an office excursion to a go-karting track um, and I happened to tag along with Dad. She'd said that was, that was fine. But uh, it was, I mean, from the moment we got there, we could totally see how this was going to unfold. Everyone was broken up into teams of four. <laughs> and on her team was Diana, her head driver, chauffeur man, her head of security. So it was like, okay, so we see that there's a there's no, we're not spreading the uh, the skills, I suppose, in this arena. Um, and on the team board, her name was up there as the boss. Well, they were cheating <laughs> the whole time. Her team, they, they would do one lap and they were counting two. Um, but it was done in such again, it was a, a funny, mischievous, naughty way every time Diana got out of her go-kart she was roaring her head off anyway as it wrapped up she was sitting on the floor trying to get her overalls off but she refused to take off her massive white Reebok trainers and the overalls were really (laughs) narrow so she called me over and she said Victoria pull my overalls off well it, it took a good 20 minutes because we were laughing so hard because she would not take her shoes off and there's no way those overalls were going to come over the trainers without her taking her shoes off. Um, so we event- we eventually managed it. But unfortunately, the, the reminder, I suppose, of you're never alone is she had brought in an official photographer to capture the event just so that everyone would have photographs. And um, as I was pulling her overalls off, he was snapping pictures and I was like, no pictures, no pictures. I was kind of hiding my face. But he sold those pictures to one of the tabloids and they Ah. were printed in the newspaper the next day, um, which was a really sad caveat to what had been an incredibly special and fun-filled day because then Diana, you sort of just feeling betrayed again. She's done something nice and the photographer's taken advantage of that. Oh, that's unfortunate. Yeah, that's awful. And so you seem like you, you grew up in this environment and you have like the perfect kind of insight into um, the royals, which would make you just an absolutely fantastic royal commentator. But your career took an interesting um path, you actually went into acting and you were on a soap opera for a while. So how did you transition from acting into going back into royal life? Well, really what I had wanted, I had wanted to be a ballet dancer and um, I went to a full-time ballet school and ballet was the the first great love of my life, I suppose, um, which was what was so wonderful about Diana. Ballet was her first great love too. Uh, She just couldn't get enough of it. Um, But I had a back injury and and so was going to stop dancing and which was probably a good thing because I cannot sing for toffee. So I was getting through a few of the odd dance auditions and then I'd have to sing and it would be a catastrophe. But I thought, right, if I'm going to go to drama school, uh, I want to do that somewhere where I don't know anyone because I'd heard all the humiliating stories of having to pretend to be a tree and how they break you down. <laughs> and and uh, it's like worse than therapy. And then they try to build you back up again. So it's like, right, I need to go somewhere where I don't know anybody to do that. Um, and New York had always seemed very appealing. I'd never been here before, but uh, I got on a plane and I came to drama school here. Um, and, and had a great time. And from there, I then transitioned into acting. I wasn't full-time on a soap, but I, I did a few days on soaps. I worked for a web TV channel, hosting and presenting for them. Uh, it was mostly doing theatre, and I loved it. Um, and the the TV side then, the hosting arena sort of started to pick up, and I realised, oh, I really, really like this. Um, uh, enjoyed every element of it. And then when William and Kate got engaged, they got engaged November of 2010, and my agent called me on January 4th, 
2011 and said, the early show wants you to go in and do a story on William and Kate tomorrow. Can you do it? I was like, what are you talking about? I can't go and talk about William and Kate. No, absolutely not. And he said, come on, they, they've just launched this new show. It's a younger slant. They want you to go and do it because they're guessing that you know everything your dad knows. <laughs> well, the panic was completely overwhelming because, yes, I guess all that information, not like him. He's a walking encyclopedia. He's amazing. But so not to the same degree as him. But that information was all there. I just never really tapped into it before. Uh, so I stayed up all night having equal parts fashion crisis and studying. <laughs> and uh, I went in the next morning and I was with Erica Hill, who is a dream. She's one of television news's most wonderful personalities. And we we did the segment together and it was great. We, we had a wonderful time. And right afterwards, I was called down to the control room and they said, do you fancy moving to London for three months to cover the royal wedding? Wow. And I thought about it for half a nanosecond and said, <laughs> I'm in. Yes, let's wow. do it. Um, so it was it was amazing, and I, I never expected it to to become this. But Steve Jobs gave a really fantastic commencement speech, I think, at Yale a few years before he died, and he talked about how our life is a series of dot to dot puzzles. You know those dot to dots you do as a kid? You join one to two, and two to three, and then suddenly the picture reveals itself. Yes. And he was saying it's only with hindsight or when you've reached a certain point in your career that you can look back and go, Ah, okay, I see where all the dot to dots were leading um and I guess that's where they were leading me and, I, and I'm so glad because I absolutely love my job which is such a blessing I love that uh, and speaking of that um can you share with us some of your favorite royals events that you've covered over the years uh, I get quite geeky with those. Um, <laughs> I turn into a bit of a nana. I suppose, well, one of the, the my favourites, I suppose, just from a historic point of view, was the Queen's Diamond Jubilee. Um, because it was so remarkable on the last day to see the sort of major royals, uh, Prince Charles's vision, future slim down monarchy, standing on that balcony. And I was so grateful on behalf of the Queen, sort of like she's my grandma, but um, <laughs> that she was getting to see how much the public appreciated her. Her. Normally, there's only that kind of outpouring when someone's passed away. Like you wonder, did George Bush, did George H. W. Bush, did he know how appreciated he was when you see how his funeral was received and how many people went to pay their respects to him when he was in the capital? And so I suppose with the Queen, it was that final day where the people were on the mall and there had been four days of celebrations and the British press in typical style had said, no one's going to come, the weather's going to be awful, it's going to be a washout, it's going to be a total disaster, the whole thing's a nightmare, cost too much money. Well, the people came and they just kept coming. And on the first day of the river pageant, the rain was coming down sideways. It was freezing. And yet there were millions of people lining the banks of the Thames. Wow. So on that last day, I suppose that was my goosebumpy moment because the Queen stepped out onto the balcony. And I I just loved that she was having a moment to see that it's mattered, that her devotion to nation and duty and her commitment and her sacrifice has all been worth it. So that was amazing. Um, and then, of course, Harry and Meghan's wedding, I suppose, of the two weddings, William and Kate's was extraordinary in, in all the ways a royal wedding is. But before we moved to Kensington Palace, I lived in Windsor. And so to be in Windsor... It, what a full circle moment for me to suddenly be back in Windsor covering the royal wedding and walking along the streets that I grew up in and there's Savannah Guthrie and Hoda. And it's like, ah, oh, there's Savannah and Hoda. And then <laughs> there's Anderson Cooper on the long walk. And there's, you know, all these people that I've admired in this field were in my home hometown. Um, so that was very special in a number of ways. And my dad and I got to do several documentaries together. And that was fun, um, just to be able to to work alongside him as well, and learn from the master. 
And speaking of Windsor, um, I'm assuming that you grew up in the town of Windsor rather than Windsor Castle. But <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> but just as someone who's from the area, can you give us some insight into how the Windsor Cap- Castle um, property is spread out as well? Because we know that Harry and Meghan are moving into Frogmore Cottage, so we'd really love to yes. hear. Oh, and I'm so glad you raised this because, of course, so much has been made of them moving to Windsor because they're on the outs with William and Kate. It's just nonsense. I think they're moving to Windsor because, quite simply, it's a glorious place to raise a family. What Windsor offers is all the benefits of town life in a quite a small way, um, all the pageantry and history that's associated with, with Windsor. But really where Harry and Meghan are going to be is the very best of country life living um so they're going to be in windsor great park and they'll be just off kind of just off the long walk so the long walk was the major long park road that megan drove down with her mother to go to the wedding and it's where the carriage procession went after the wedding and off to the side of the long walk in a private gated area is is the frogmore mausoleum where queen victoria is buried frogmore house is further in you can't where they had their reception you can't see that from any road or anything and then frogmore cottage is within that area as well so it's free from prying eyes the paparazzi can't really be waiting at gates because they'd be waiting for hours days months and they'd never capture anything whereas at kensington palace you can always be sure that somebody's coming out the gates you know paparazzo can get quite lucky at some point um Obviously, there's going to be no shortage of pageantry in baby Sussex's life. But one of the most special things of Windsor was uh, because of the castle was every Saturday morning around 10 a.m., 11 a.m., whichever band was in residence at the at the barracks would march up the hill for the changing of the guard. And you'd be in the supermarket or a coffee shop and you could hear the sounds of the trumpets and the drums in the distance. And it didn't matter the age. Everybody would leg it up the high street to go and watch the band coming up the hill. Um, It was very special. And so they would then go in and do the changing of the guard and then they'd come back out again so I think Windsor just offers them so much in in terms of the type of life they'll be leading most importantly it offers them privacy but Windsor Great Park is acres and acres of private parkland with deer with bunny rabbits with beautiful birds with with just all the elements of a country life that's still commutable to London. That sounds so idealic. <laughs> I want to be there. That's so nice to hear because I think it does clear up a lot of the drama for us of like, why? who wouldn't want to live in Windsor? Well, that's that's exactly right. And and of course, you know, um, these stories, they grow from a tiny little nugget. And yes, perhaps there's been a couple of disagreements. William even said when they did the when the four of them did their foundation interview together and they were up on stage and it got a little bit eggy when the interviewer said, do you ever have any disagreements? And then they all laughed. And of course, they do. They're real human beings. It's so easy to class royals as sort of two dimensional figures because we don't ever get to see their more human side. Um, So yes, there's probably been any manner of disagreements like with any family member, but it would be an awfully dramatic big statement to say, I'm moving out of Kensington Palace because you didn't agree with this. I mean, that's silly, silly. Um, They're a lot more pragmatic than that. Well, while we're on the topic of royal reports coming out, um, I I have a vision, and correct me if I'm wrong, of all the royals reporters in this scrum together being friends or maybe they're competitive and sometimes you're traveling together. What is it like to see the same faces over and over again? Are there certain people you are friendly with yourself and are you all competing for scoops? What's it like to be in that scrum? 
it's actually quite comforting seeing the same faces, um, I think. Uh, and I really like everybody that's in the press pack. Um, I think it's been a very difficult year for the British press pack in particular because um, there is a, a difference in how things are reported with royal families versus celebrities. Uh, there's a difference in, in how things are covered and some of that has been misconstrued. And so they've been on the receiving end of some pretty horrible stuff on Twitter. Um, but it's changed dramatically from when my dad was in the press pack. In those days, it was all about the scoop. It was all about the friends that were leaking stories from Kensington Palace, Buckingham Palace. They were the friends of Charles and Diana's that were fighting the War of the Waleses through the newspapers. That doesn't happen anymore. And anyone that is close to William and Harry is so frightened of being ostracised from that society, uh, that that gang, I suppose, that they do not speak. And right around William and Kate's wedding, everyone was saying, surely there's somebody that's going to talk to us. Um, but nobody would. Absolutely nobody would because they just didn't want to risk being thrown out of, of that particular pack. Um, it's, a, it's a pretty special pack to be a part of. Um, so people are not getting scoops in the way that they used to. So they're relying certainly more on somebody that is behind palace walls that's been given the authority to give a little tidbit out but wants to be identified as a royal source. Uh, you would never say their name or anything. Um, so Emily Andrews actually, for the Sun newspaper, got a major scoop. She was the one that broke the story that Harry and Meghan were moving to Windsor. And and still, when that came out, uh, you know, Emily's she's a lovely person, and um, and but she writes for the, the Sun, and the Sun, sometimes it's more of a tabloid. So where the Telegraph would write something, you'd be like, oh, sure, sure, sure. Um, you're, you're thinking, oh, the Sun, are they sensationalising this, or is it actually happening? Uh, but Emily laid out the facts, and she was proven absolutely correct, uh, because that later that afternoon, Kensington Palace came forward and said, yes, um, they are moving to Frogmore Cottage. Uh, Camilla Tomini, she was writing for The Express at the time, she broke the Harry and Meghan story, which was a massive scoop. Nobody could believe that Harry and Meghan had kept their romance secret for such a long time. So, scoops of that magnitude that Emily and Camilla achieved a quite hard to come by these days simply for the reason that nobody talks in the way they used to um, but it's a pretty friendly pack I think everyone respects each other because without those massive scoops without the leaks coming from friends people are still a little bit competitive but certainly not in the backstabbing way that Fleet Street was 20-30 years ago. Well that actually brings me to a, a sort of a delicate question and you have such a unique perspective given your childhood and also your job now but when we're currently in a bit of a dramatic time with are the brothers feuding, are the wives mm -hmm. feuding, is Prince Charles bad-mouthing his children in the press? When we, What is a good way for our listeners and for ourselves to read these reports? Like, How can we sort of have the media literacy to grasp what is coming from what does it mean when a, a royal source inside the palace says this? Like, Are there ways that you as a reporter can tell when it's coming directly from the press secretary, even though it says it's a mm -hmm. source, like, how do we mm -hmm. know what's coming straight from Charles's camp and what is like a maid versus I, I just mm -hmm. I'm so fascinated by that. And it's so hard to parse. Well, and it is. And that really is the million dollar question. It's very, very difficult to decipher these days. Um, I suppose really for me, I go to who has written the article um, because, you know, if it's one of the tighter press circle, if it's Camilla Tomini, if it's Robert Jobson, um, if it's Roy Anika, then you're, you're going, OK, yeah, this is this has got uh, some validity to it. Um, a lot of the, and forgive me, internet, but a lot of the, <laughs> I suppose, magazines that are 
online, uh, the fluffier magazines online, I suppose. Um, I would take it with a pinch of salt and a healthy dose of common sense um, <laughs> because it's just uh, you kind of when you when you really think about it. Um, it's like we just said, would Harry and Meghan really move out of Kensington Palace just because they had just because Kate had cried over a bridesmaid's dress? No, no, there's too much at stake. Like living at Kensington Palace for Harry and Meghan is about being in close proximity to the office. It's about being in close proximity to all of the engagements in being close proximity to stations like King's Cross that they might have to go to in order to take a train somewhere in the country. Moving to Windsor is going to be wonderful but it adds an element of um disadvantage just in terms of all of their scheduling uh suddenly they've got to factor in a 40 minute drive everywhere they go on top of everything else they're doing so would they move to windsor just because they've had a bit of an argument no and that's where it really comes down to common sense like let's look at the bigger picture here um and really i suppose that for me is is where i i try and decipher what's credible and what's not um certainly when the harry and meghan story broke when camilla broke that um camilla when you look historically at her articles she's very reliable she's she's usually spot on and so that's what i mean about making sure that you're paying attention to who the source is mm-hmm. uh, as well um that's a that's a huge part of it and and chances are anyone that's working for one of the reputable newspapers in the uk that has been a royal correspondent for a good number of years, they're going to be, their reputation is on the line if they're making it up. Um, so so that's usually a, a good indicator as well. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Thank yeah. you for that. <laughs> and so just to, just to wrap up, um, what can we expect from the royals in the next few months? Because it seems like we've got some big life events happening, like a baby Sussex on the way. So <laughs> what can we expect to see? We do. Well, this year actually was a cracker because we had Prince Charles' 70th birthday. It was the 65th anniversary of the coronation. Two royal weddings, two royal babies. Um, so we had a lot, even in January, just looking ahead to the rest of the year. We don't have any monumental anniversaries um, affecting the immediate royal family next year, but it is the 200th anniversary of Queen Victoria's birth. Uh, she mm. was the second longest reigning monarch in British history, so that's a pretty big deal. Um, that's in May. Um, and of course, baby Sussex I think that news is going to be huge it's a lovely idea that Harry and Meghan think this baby can lead a nice quiet (laughs) non-titled royal life that's just not going to happen not to make it about this because I think it's an enormous burden for a a child to carry but this baby will be the first biracial baby born into the royal family Mm -hmm. his blood or her blood will be made up of royals and African-American slaves I mean that's just when we're talking about history that's that's enormous. Um, I hope the baby is allowed to grow up and, and lead a, a, as normal a life as possible in terms of not constantly being defined by the diversity his or her blood represents. Um, but it's an exciting time. This is, and this is why I love my job, because we get to watch history in the making. We're watching it unfold. And this is an institution that's been around over a thousand years. The only other institution I can think of that survived like that is the church. Um mm. So it's constantly adapting, it's constantly evolving. This current generation of royals are going to be a tiny blip in the grand royal tapestry of life, but it's a pretty historic one when you think Charlotte can no longer be uh, set aside in favour of a younger-born brother. We're soon going to have the first biracial baby born into this family, which reflects modern society. Um, It shows acceptance, it shows tolerance, um, 
it, it, that's that's amazing to me. Um, and of course, we just continue to see the Queen keep on trucking. I mean, she's fit, she's healthy, she's robust. I'm keeping my fingers crossed that we get to cover her Platinum Jubilee, which should be in 2022. Um, wow. I'm looking ahead to that. Uh, so the royal family, they've always got something to throw at us. There's always something exciting on the horizon. That's perfect. Oh, wow. Well, thank you. This has been so fun. Thank you so, so much, Victoria. Yes. Oh, thank you for having me. It's such a delight talking to you both. (laughs) Yes, thank you. And happy holidays. Yes, indeed. Happy holidays to you too. Yes, have a very royal regal Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) We'll try. We'll try. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us, Victoria. That is the best royals story anecdote gossip that I've ever heard. I can't believe we were so lucky to have it told on our show. (laughs) I will be spending my New Year's Eve parties telling everyone about that because I'm super cool. You guys can also use it at your cocktail parties. Thank you, Victoria. Thank you, Victoria. (laughs) I love some gossip. Before we adjourn the Royal Pod, we're going to do some highs and lows and they're going to be our year end highs and lows for the Royal family. It's time for the Royal Highs and Lows. Wow. Are you you prepared? Have you thought about it? Yes, I literally just thought about it right now. Okay, good. So let's start with lows because I want to end on a happier note. So what's your low? My low is going to be the stories pitting Megan and Kate against each other. I hate that narrative. I don't care if they're best friends or not, but they're two strong, independent women, and they don't need this nonsense. Like, just let them live their lives like... Leave them alone. Leave them alone. Um, my low, uh, when I look back at 2018, was the couple of days leading into the royal wedding when every day we had some news story about the Markle family doing something terrible or something that was just genuinely very scary and horrifying. Like, remember that Thomas Markle was like, I have a heart attack and now I can't go? That was like the Tuesday before the wedding. Every day that week we had new drama and finally the Sussex the the pair before we even knew them as the Sussex pair because they didn't have their titles yet they had to release a statement saying like Megan stop (laughs) sorry I just whipped out my phone to take pictures of Caitlin because you look so pretty you look so pretty right now (laughs) you're worse than my mom I'm trying to speak here and I'm trying to be very you know upset for a moment well you look good doing it thank you but yeah that week leading into the wedding was like genuinely so stressful for me um but for everybody who's a fan of Megan and of the couple and I just couldn't imagine that all like she should have been sitting on a tuffet drinking champagne that whole week and instead she had to have daily stories drug through the press and that poor girl it was a a preview of the rest of the year I hope it ends in 2018 Mm -hmm. with 2018 but that was a bleak time why don't you say you're high well the high was the wedding itself oh my god what an amazing amazing special day i will never forget where i was which was alone on my couch <laughs> but um i will never forget that moment uh, the children caught the, the choir of children singing as megan walked up the aisle with the beautiful lighting i was bawling bawling anytime i've watched clips from that day i have started crying all over again to see prince harry so happy after the life that he's had Ugh. It was an unbelievably beautiful day. It was. Also, I woke up at 4 a.m. to be on a Filipino TV station. Oh, my God, I remember. Remember that? I Skyped in to be on the nightly news in the Philippines, <laughs> um, a clip that I will never be able to find. But I, I know it happened because the producer sent me a screenshot. I was just frantically blogging for the cut, and 
g-chatting with you yeah. and getting headline ideas from you yes you were <laughs> i was like i have an idea for coverage i don't have to do it so it's really easy for me to tell you this and that afternoon of course we recorded an episode so please do listen to that we sound cracked out but so happy which is exactly what we were <laughs> yes and so my high is this podcast like Elisa? this has been such <laughs> an amazing year if you told me this time last year that i would have a podcast about the royals i would be very surprised actually not that surprised because it feels really on brand for me but like I didn't expect this this was just such a joyful wonderful thing that happened and brought us close yes and I love you so much I love this podcast so much I think it's such an honor to um, be a part of this community I hear from so many of our amazing listeners so regularly and I try to jump into the Facebook group as often as I can even though I hate Facebook it's true but like it's just such a joy this is just such a wonderful positive experience and i'm so happy that we get to do it lisa that's why i was taking pictures of you (laughs) i love you i love you too and i love our listeners and i love the royals and i'm so excited for 2019 we have a baby on the way guys (laughs) our baby our baby is coming baby lisa can't wait (laughs) so remember to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a five-star review on apple podcasts here's a real review and it's so funny the headline is funny factual and flamboyant there we are (laughs) the three f's it is me it's from ac corby and that person writes lisa and caitlin are now tv stars having never seen either of the ladies faces i was royally impressed when i saw our favorite podcasters on the real princess diaries both of your contributions were valuable and i hope to see see ye as well as hear ye in 2019 oh that's nice (laughs) that's really nice I know. Um, you probably are watching. You're like, what do they look like? They look exactly the same. Yeah, we are just, you know, two brunettes. Um, two brunettes who often unintentionally match. Yeah, it does happen. You can, of course, if you follow our Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast, we are always on the Instagram stories putting up polls and stuff. So you can also see our faces that way if you'd really care to. Um, you can join our Facebook group, Royally Obsessed, as well. You can follow me, Caitlin, at HeyKMenz, H-E-Y-K-M-E-N-Z, on Twitter and Instagram, and read my writing at CaitlinMenza.com. You can follow me, Lisa, at Lisa Raya, on Twitter and Instagram, and read my writing at the gut. And until next year. Oh, my God. Next year. <laughs> God, God save the pod. I love saying that this oh time of year. See you next year. We're so corny. It's like a dad <laughs> joke. See you next year. You're my dad. <laughs> Her Majesties of Royally Obsessed have retired for this episode. God save the pod. And if you fancy the podcast, give Royally Obsessed the royal rating of five stars on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast. And join our Facebook group, Royally Obsessed. Royally Obsessed is a gallery podcast production.